Good morning, church. Let me take a good look at all of you. Oh yeah, I haven't seen you all so long. Turn around and see each other, you know. We have uh, almost a full congregation today and a lot of faces we haven't seen. That Ah yeah, so good to see you all back. Right, so uh, this week, Singapore begins our preparation for a new era of living with COVID-19. This is the reason why we're all gathered here this morning. And we may now have up to uh, 500 fully vaccinated or pre-tested worshippers on church premises. This is enough to accommodate all our uh, members in our Chinese and English congregation with plenty of room for guests and visitors. So if you have no reason to stay away and you're watching us online, we do welcome you and invite you to worship with us on site uh, next week onwards. Also, we can dine out with our family and friends again. How many of you already done so? Eh, not, not so many. Okay. Right, I was rejected because not effective yet. Okay, anyway. So, uh, just remember, that it's mandatory for us to return our trays, yeah? Don't get fined for no reason. And those getting married can now look forward to celebrating uh, with your wider social circle. Of course, you can still use COVID as a reason to keep your wedding small. Social activities will have less restrictions, travel will resume, and the economy is on the road to recovery. 19 months after the first COVID case came to our island nation, it seems that our evil days are finally over. But are evil days really over? In our New Testament passage this morning, Paul tells us, tells the Ephesians that the days are evil. Now, if Ephesus was going through a deadly plague, along with declining businesses and languishing people, we will understand what Paul means right away. The thing is, there wasn't a virus going around in Ephesus. Neither were there any external persecutions or internal conflicts bringing about widespread misery. In fact, there was no crisis at all. We know that Paul's letters only contains general instructions on faith and practice. That being the case, why did Paul say the days are evil? If we read the chapter before this and the chapter after this, we will realize that Paul means regardless of the circumstances, our days on earth are evil. Certainly, natural disasters and man-made tragedies make us miserable. However, in the absence of such abnormal circumstances, our days will still be generally evil. For no other reason than the fact that we live in a fallen world full of sinful human beings. The days are evil because people are evil. How did Paul arrive at this conclusion? Based on the instructions Paul gave to the Ephesians in chapter 4, 5, and 6, we can tell that Paul was aware of what people were doing to each other. He knew that in the church, there was competition between the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They were arguing over their teachings, grasping for status and vying for supporters. At home, husbands and wives were fighting for dominance. Parents and children are at odds. Masters and slaves were ill-treating one another. And out on the streets, there was bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and all malice. Everybody, Gentiles and Christians, acted out in the same way. In my neighborhood, there is this uncle who spends the most part of his day sitting around the void deck. 
He can be seen talking to other senior citizens who are looking for conversation to kill time. What they talk about is their business. However, whenever this uncle is left alone, he would start complaining and criticizing random things. If you happen to walk past him when he's in the mood, you become fodder. One time, he saw me in my blazer and said in Hokkien, Wow, these days, women are smarter than men, ah? That wasn't a compliment. I wonder what he would say if he sees me in my vestments. I guess Paul was living in a society where people were as bitter and unrestrained as this uncle in my neighborhood. And many people were probably worse. Because of what they said and did to one another, there was much evil going around. These observations were not specific to Ephesus. We know for a fact that Paul gave similar instructions in his letter to the Colossians. It is possible that everywhere he went, Paul found interpersonal chaos. And we know that Paul has traveled far and wide throughout the vast Roman Empire. Therefore, Paul says, the days are evil. Paul's observations about ancient Romans have parallels in our time. Somewhere in a class, a child is being abused by classmates. Somewhere in a residence, a domestic helper is being starved to death. Somewhere in an office, colleagues are bad-mouthing the management. Somewhere in a neighborhood, harsh words are being exchanged and the fear of violence hangs in the air. Last month, a man was stabbed to death by his neighbor on his doorstep in Pongo. The following day, in Amokyo, a man and woman fought each other and tumbled out of their flat with multiple wounds. The woman survived, but the man died. Clearly, our modern society is just as vicious as the ancient world. People, past, present, and future are evil. Therefore, we should not be surprised by evil. We will continue to live in evil days, even after the pandemic. They will only end when Christ returns and throws sin into the lake of fire. Now that we've established what Paul means and recognize that our days are evil, what I'm interested to talk about today is how we can avoid contributing to the evil of our days. I believe this is a good time to talk about it. Safe distancing measures have kept many of us away from people for a very long time. But as we open up, we're going to leave our homes and start closing in on each other again. I'm guessing that the potential for friction and interpersonal conflicts is going to increase in days to come. When we take public transport, we're going to step on each other's toes again as, we, as the crowds return. When we return to our offices, co-workers we could ignore on Zoom are going to get into our face again. When we bump into each other for lunch or uh, meet each other on the corridor, there will be plenty of opportunities for spontaneous conversations, maybe arguments. As we prepare for life with COVID, with all the attending stresses of daily life, how do we prevent our sinfulness from hurting people? My brothers and sisters, I believe the answer is to live moment to moment wisely. Based on our readings for today, I'm going to share with you two points. First, it is God's command that Christians live moment to moment wisely. Second, it is good if we do so. 
Paul, in his authority as an apostle of the Lord, wrote in verses 15 to 17, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, there are three commands from the Lord here. The first command, look carefully. Paul says, we should consider carefully how we go about our daily lives and choose to do that which is wise. Because if we're not careful, we will end up being unwise. As the proverb goes, one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. How do we remain cautious and avoid being reckless? Paul says that to remain cautious, we should avoid that which causes us to lose our ability to think and act wisely. To illustrate, he uses the well-known example of drunkenness in verse 18. Now, everyone knows how a drunken person behaves. They can't think or act properly. They can't even walk on a straight line. However, this does not mean that wine is the only thing we should avoid getting drunk on. There are other things which could cloud our judgment, including being high on drugs, being uh, infatuated with yourself or with someone else, being obsessed with success or money or revenge or anything under the sky, really. Whatever causes us to lose our ability to think objectively and act carefully is not wisdom. A newspaper journalist published her experience with a teenager who wanted to hire her to write a Chinese-language assignment for him. His parents were willing to pay a four-digit sum if she submitted high-quality work, complete with research materials. Not wanting to scold the boy over the phone, the journalist rejected the offer, saying that she is too busy to take on the job. The teenager replied that he would attempt to write it himself. God knows what really happened. Regardless, this is an example of how people drunk, intoxicated by academic achievement, can become foolish and even willing to commit fraud. The second command is, do not be foolish. I prefer to translate this as, do not become foolish. Do not become foolish because Christians have been made wise by God. Earlier in the letter, in chapter 1, verses 8 to 9, Paul says, In Christ we are given all wisdom and insight to understand the mystery of God's will. Then in chapter 1, verse 17, Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. These verses point to the fact that God the Father in Christ Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has made us wise, and he empowers us to live wisely. Since we are already wise and capable of living wisely, then let us not degenerate back into fools. The first two commands underscore and highlight that Christians should live wisely. The third command defines wisdom for us. The definition of wisdom based on this text is understand the will of the Lord. Wisdom is understanding the will of the Lord. 
The Greek word for understand means to have an intelligent grasp of something that challenges one's thinking or practice. In other words, understanding means applying what we know to inform how we think and what we do. Now, if knowledge is knowing how to bake a cake, then understanding is appreciating what each ingredient does. A wise baker is able to think of substitutes when ingredients are missing or switch to baking something different with what is available. Similarly, if knowledge is knowing what God said in the Bible, that understanding is appreciating the goodness that God desires for us through his will. A wise Christian voluntarily obey God's will because we desire his goodness. A proper understanding of the will of God is the divine wisdom Paul is commanding us to live by. There is one more phrase we need to look at uh, from this passage. And that phrase is making the best use of the time. Time here is the Greek word kairos, which means a point of time or a definite period of time, which is especially appropriate for something. The NIV calls it opportunity. When Paul says make, use, make the best use of the time, he's not talking about making the most out of your life. He's not saying YOLO. Rather, Paul is saying that there will be moments in your life when you, have to, when you have the opportunity to choose either to go with your own sinful nature or to seek after God's own heart. When such a time comes, make the best out of that opportunity. Obviously, not every moment of our lives calls for wisdom. Every morning, you have the opportunity to choose what to have for breakfast. You don't need wisdom for that. However, there will be moments which call for wisdom, especially when you're interacting with people. There will be moments when you have to decide whether you should ignore an insult or retaliate, punish a mistake or let it slide, keep secrets for a friend or tell the truth, give your opinion or keep quiet. I know we label such moments as temptations sometimes, which sounds rather negative and makes us feel that we can't help but fall prey. What I've discovered in my study of this text is that such moments are also opportunities for wisdom. Temptations to sin are also opportunities for wisdom. So the next time you're tempted to sin, don't feel that you have to do it. Turn around and see them as your chance to be wise. Remember that God has made you wise and he empowers you to live wisely. So choose wisdom and turn these moments into moments of wisdom. Paul tells us in Ephesians that Christians should choose to live wisely because it is God's command. In our passage from Proverbs chapter 9, Solomon likewise promotes wise living, except that he focuses more on the consequences of our choice. Talking about wisdom and folly as if they were women, Solomon teaches us that wisdom is good while folly is bad. We heard earlier that both wisdom and folly have prepared a banquet in their own house. Well, to spice these uh, things up a bit, I'm reframing Solomon's story in a more familiar context. Think of it as choosing between two Prata stores standing side by side. Both have the same menu, 
both offer free flow curry. And the store owners from both stores are distributing pamphlets to draw customers. The invitation is the same. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says. Now who exactly are these customers that they're trying to attract? Who are these simple people who lack sense? Whoever is simple refers to people who are open-minded. They are like customers who are just as likely to order from the Prata store on the left as they are to order from the Prata store on the right. People who lack sense refer to those who do not know right from wrong, good from bad, and therefore do not know what to do. These are like customers who have tried both stores, but because they cannot tell what a good Prata is, they're not loyal to either store. Customers who are simple and lack sense are easily enticed. They will go back and forth between the two stores as long as they cannot decide which is better. The reason for patronizing one instead of the other on a given day may boil down to which has the shortest queue or which one is giving a promotion. In other words, whichever is more convenient and attractive. Solomon implies that all human beings begin as open-minded individuals who do not know what is wise and what is foolish. We do not know whether to trust wisdom or folly because sometimes it's very hard to tell them apart. Wise decisions may be painful while foolish decisions may be profitable. And so when a moment of decision comes, chances are we will go for what is most convenient or most attractive at the time and we will oscillate between wisdom and folly until such a time when we finally understand the truth behind both of them. Continuing with our Prata store analogy, which store do you think customers will go to when they find out that one store owner is using a stolen recipe and only cares about making money, whereas the other spent years perfecting his Prata recipe and wants people to enjoy a good meal? And who do you think you should choose when I tell you that wisdom wants us to enjoy our lives while folly wants us dead? I'm not making baseless accusations. Let me prove it to you from the text. In verse 6, wisdom promises personally, leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Wisdom wants us to live. But what folly fails to tell us is But he who dines with folly does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Wisdom cares for us, but folly hates us. Therefore, consider carefully and choose to live with wisdom. Various proverbs point out how we can have a good life if we follow wisdom. In line with our topic for today, I've selected a few concerning interpersonal interaction. Good sense wins favour, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. A servant who deals wisely has the king's favour, but his wrath falls on one who acts shamefully. It is an honour for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarrelling. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord 
is riches and honor and life. Wisdom doesn't just bring individual favor and good repute in the sight of God and of people. Wisdom also multiplies goodness to the people around us to give them life. So here's another group of Proverbs for your consideration. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. An excellent wife is the crown of a husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. A truthful witness saves lives. The one who breathes out lies is deceitful. Whoever is greedy for, just, for unjust gains troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. It's not only in Proverbs, by the way. Rounding up with our passage from Ephesians, the last portion describes the delightful fellowship of those who have wisdom. It says, and do not get drunk with, with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we are wholeheartedly committed to wisdom, our relationships are transformed, and it is a wonderful picture. People who do not share common interests now read the same Bible, sing the same songs, and worship the same God. While people in the world fight for power and position, in the church we recognize God's lordship over us. Consequently, I give way to you and you give way to me. Above and beyond the wonderful fellowship of the saints, our relationship with God also changes for good. Instead of blaming God for evil and suffering in this world, Christians thank God for the grace of every good day, for every good relationship, and for every goodness we experience. It happened to me on two occasions that two different neighbors held the lift door open to, for me while I wheeled my bicycle out. I mean, they stepped out, then turned around, and kept the door open. You know, with good lift sensors in HDB uh, lifts these days, this gesture really wasn't necessary. Plus, since I was obviously strong enough to go out cycling, I didn't deserve the help, right? But they graciously did that for me anyway. And I was so touched by their kindness. I'm telling you this to reassure you that my neighborhood is quite decent in spite of that uncle but also as an example of everyday goodness we shouldn't take for granted, but we should thank God for these things. Allow me to conclude. Our nation is coming out of evil days of the pandemic, but we will still have evil times ahead. The days are evil because people are evil. Some people are evil because they choose to be, others are evil because they don't know better. Christians have no excuse because we've received wisdom from God and we have been taught by the word about the deadly consequences of folly and of the good life we can enjoy if we choose wisdom. Furthermore, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. Since we have such great advantages from the Lord, brothers and sisters, let us choose to live moment to moment wisely. And we can all make a fresh start today. Go back and start reading your Bible again. 
Increase your understanding in the will of the Lord so that you know your options when the moment arises. Talk to your spiritual friends if you're lost because the church exists to build each other up. And when you finally leave your homes and go back into the world, put aside all your past habits and unhelpful patterns of behavior. Avoid being evil to other people. Instead, be the reason for them to give thanks to God. May our days be improved because you are a Christian. Let us pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For in him we have received salvation, along with all wisdom and insight to understand your will for us. Although we continue to fumble our decisions and do foolish things in our lives, we know that in Christ we are forgiven because he died on the cross for our foolishness. As we come forward to receive your body and your blood later, Grant us renewed grace to trust and obey you in our moments ahead so that we may be a wise and understanding people to the praise of your glory. Amen. Thank you, Evangeline, for that uh, word and a reminder from God's word to live uh, with wisdom because the days are evil and I know it wasn't your main point but all I can think about now is roti prata uh, in my opinion one of the best places to go is near Pak Chi's house huh? right Pak Chi up the road from you the Casarina is, is a good place but actually Pak Chi's house has even better food so look forward to his uh, uh, soon invitation anyway we're going to take up the offer tree now uh, it's a